What's your greatest event in your life? In your life presently right now, just think for just a second. That is rhetorical. You don't have to answer that out loud. But what is the greatest event in your life presently right now from where you can, for however old that you are, think backwards because it's okay to remember, right? What is the greatest event in your life? Well, here's a picture of my very first greatest event of my life right here. This is a picture of me. I'm still in the hospital, and my mother sent me this picture yesterday, and I had forgotten that I weighed 11.7 pounds when I was born. So I came out and slapped the doctor myself. He didn't slap me. I took care of that myself. You know, so this is one of the greatest events of my life, you know, being born. It is one of the greatest events of your life, being born into this world, right? Well, let's go to the next picture. Um, as a nine-year-old, I trusted Jesus. Look at that sexy thing. I, I, I trusted Jesus. I trusted Jesus at nine years of age, and this is a picture of me at nine years of age. I'm standing next to my cousin, and I didn't really mean to cut his head off, but that is a very, very, the most important event in my personal life is when I gave my life to Jesus. At the age of nine, I knelt at my father's chair, and he led me to the Lord. Most important event in my life. Well, what about the next one? This is a very important event in my life. When I was married to my best friend, to the most beautiful woman in this, in this room, to the most beautiful woman in this world, when I was able on December the 11th of 2004, correct? <laughs> right? I'm right? Okay, all right. Hey, I'm not looking at my notes. Give me a second, all right? <laughs> it was a great event in my life, probably a better event in my life than it was hers, but a great event in my life when our children were born they were awesome great events in our life in my life and in my wife's lives what, what about our country there's been some great events in our country 1492 christopher columbus arrived the boston tea party in 1773 the declaration of independence in 1776 the purchase of the louisiana territory in 1803 the landing on the moon in 1969, D-Day in 1944. See, these are all great events in our country, and we could think of many, many more. But we've had so many great events in our country. There's been so many great events in your life and in my life. And, I mean, uh, your mind's probably going to all different directions of greatest events in your life. But my friends, this morning, we come to celebrate the biggest and the greatest event in world history. From beginning to end. The biggest and the most monumental and the greatest event in history. You know what it's called? It is the resurrection of our Savior. Because everything we do hinges on the resurrection. Everything we do, because can I just be really honest with you? If you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you do not know Him as your Savior. And you say that's narrow-minded. Absolutely. Absolutely it's narrow-minded, because if you don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then you do not know Jesus. You do not have Him in your heart, and when it comes time for death, you will not experience heaven, because heaven is not our default destination. Our default destination is hell. That's our default destination. You think, thanks, Jason. 
Thanks for coming on Easter. Thank you so much for that lovely news. The resurrection is, is, is God's redemptive plan. The resurrection is the cornerstone. Listen, the resurrection is the foundation of the gospel. It is the very foundation of the gospel. According to Romans 10, 9, and 10, in order to be saved, you have to believe upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But, but, but watch this. We have to understand that the message that God has delivered to sinners throughout all of Scripture, watch this, that death does not end our existence. You with me? When you die, when you pass away from this earth, that's not the end of you. You will live. Your soul will continue to live. And there's two choices. We'll get to that in just a second. Jesus gave his life for each one of us. He was raised from the grave so that death has no sting. See, when we die, death, death is simply the door that opens up. And we are ushered into eternal glory. Okay, let's start like this. Some of you are saying, I thought we already started. Let, let, let me start, okay? That was a preface in the introduction. Here's the introduction. You've seen, as you go down the road, or maybe you've been to an Easter presentation, and you've seen three crosses, right? You've all seen three crosses on the side of the road and, and different things like that. Um, the middle one represents who? Jesus. And on both sides, there were two thieves. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about these thieves. We don't really know where they lived. We don't know much about their, their life. But one thing we do know is they both had a conversation with Jesus. Both of them did. One of the criminals looked at Jesus and he said, um, hey, why don't, why don't you save yourself? And then while you're at it, why don't you save us? But the other one had a short conversation with Jesus that changed his eternity that changed his life. See, the, when the repentant thief looked at Jesus and he said, remember me when you come to your kingdom, and he looked at the criminal that deserved death. And what did he tell him? He said, i tell you the truth. You will be with me in where? In paradise. Now, it doesn't say heaven. It does say now, we could get into a theological discussion as to what that means, but I don't want to do that here. Take your copy of God's Word and go to Luke 23. Luke 23. If you didn't bring it, it's going to be on the screens, but in Luke 23, beginning in verse 32, I'll wait just a second, Matthew, Mark, Luke, go to Mark, take a right, go to John, take a left, all right? Luke chapter 23, preachers are cheesy, sorry. Verse 32, look at this, it says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right the other on his left. Now stop right there. Let, let's drive this fact home, okay? Jesus was between two criminals, all right? They weren't good folks. Not the kind of guys you probably are wanting to meet on an alley. Most likely, they were the low of the low in society. Let me explain. When Jesus lived, crucifixion was only one way to execute people. Actually, crucifixion was the most expensive way to execute someone. You know, the word, there were, there were two reasons. It was for public humiliation, and it was to put someone through excruciating pain. Now, the word excruciating, it literally means out of the cross. So the word that, that we use to describe pain, 
It literally is coming out of the cross. So it was, it was expensive because it would take four, four guards, it would take a centurion, and it would take several people, it would take several days for this naked person to die on the cross. It was humiliating for the worst of the worst. Now the Romans most likely would not have crucified another Roman. What they did is that they saved this for special slaves, for those that they hated, for those that they wanted to embarrass. So for Jesus to be crucified was a huge statement that the Romans were making here. See, what the Romans were making when they crucified Jesus, the statement that they were making is, you call yourself the king of the Jews, we think you're just a slave. Scripture goes on. Verse 39, it says this, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Some of your translations say Messiah. Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't fear God. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him. He said, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, now watch this. This story, perhaps above all of the other ones, it illustrates for us one of the most important truths in life, and, and, and it corrects this one. It corrects a very big misunderstanding. Stick with me. This story cor corrects a very big misunderstanding. One of the most common misunderstandings in the world is that good people go to heaven. One of the most misunderstood things in our world is that good people go to heaven. You know, I think we're pretty good folks, right? I'm, I'm better than my neighbor, you know. We start comparing ourselves, don't we? I'm better, than, I'm better than this person over here, and I'm better than this person over here, and we start to compare ourselves, and we begin to make ourselves feel a little bit better. But this illustration, this story illustrates for us, watch this, that good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people go to heaven. You with me? That good people don't go to heaven. So for some of us, that should be encouraging. Actually, all of us, it should be encouraging. Good people don't go to heaven. It's forgiven people that go to heaven. See, there's a big difference there. Good people don't go to heaven because in reality, none of us are good. And you're sitting there, thank you so much. Welcome to First Baptist. We're horrible people, right? You know, welcome to First Baptist. We're so thankful that you are here with us today. You see, um, Scripture says that God alone is good. And see, if, if God alone is good, we, listen, every single person in this room, we have fallen short of His standard. You with me? Every one of us, we have fallen short of His standard. What's His standard? When, when a preacher says God's standard, we've all fallen short of that. It's holiness. Every single one of us, that we have fallen short of the standard that God sets for us. Okay, so for this morning, I want us to look at the forgiven criminal on the cross. And I want to apply some things, hopefully, to our lives from the forgiven criminal. You ready? Number one is this. The forgiven one, number one, admits wrong. You with me? Stick with me now. The forgiven criminal, number one, forgets wrong. He says, I've sinned. I've done wrong. Look at, look, look at Luke 23, 41. It says this. We are punished justly. 
for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. What's interesting again today is that we compare ourselves to a lot of people. You know what I'm talking about? You know, we compare ourselves to the folks in the county jail. We, we, we compare ourselves to people over here, and we begin to try to build ourselves up. But you ever think about this? What happens when we compare ourselves to Jesus? What happens when we compare ourselves to Jesus? We don't measure up, do we? I certainly don't. See, if you knew my past, if you knew my past, you probably would be thinking, man, I'm not really sure how you were even standing there. I, for one, am so thankful that it's, good, it's not good people to go to heaven because I wouldn't be there. It's forgiven people. So, so the forgiven criminal, he admits wrong. I, I can remember growing up, and I think I've said this before in here, I can remember growing up and people would come up to me and they would say, you know what, uh, Jason, your, your parents did a good job raising you. And I, I'm not trying to be boastful at, at all but people would come up to me in churches my father was a pastor and, and they would say I'm, I'm gonna try not to spit on you um but I'll, I'll move back here um when we would i would be in a church or something and somebody would say you know you come from good stock um i still haven't really understood quite what that means yet but you come from good stock well i remember the very first time that i realized that i was not a good person you know what i was i was six years of age I have a vivid memory of when I realized that Jason Robertson is not a good person. I do not live up to the standards that God has set before us, which is holiness. Well, I mentioned earlier that my father was a pastor, and we had a, a visiting preacher come and his wife. They were actually good family friends of ours, and he had just preached the sermon on Sunday morning. Now, don't lose me, okay? He, he preached a sermon, and as sort of tradition would have it, he came home and ate lunch with us after the revival had started on Sunday. Well, I was, I was brought up that I was supposed to be seen and not heard. So I was sitting at the table, nervous, because I was afraid I was going to say something wrong or do something wrong. And I was sitting at the table, and Miss Marge Thompson was her name. She's since gone on to be with Jesus. But Miss Marge Thompson, she was sitting at the table with me, and she took a huge spoonful of broccoli, and she slapped it onto my plate. Well, when I saw that, my eyes took a beeline for my mother. And my mother, as nicely as she could say, she said, eat it. Now, she's an alto. She sounds like Karen Carpenter when she sings, beautiful voice. She took that low, guttural voice, and she said, eat it. <laughs> so I, I thought, well, okay, I'm not eating this junk, but all right. I've since, I've enjoyed, I enjoy broccoli if there's enough cheese on it. But um, So I took the broccoli off of my plate when no one was watching, and I took it and I threw it under the table. When Miss Marge saw my plate, and my plate was empty again. And she said, well, well, Jason, I'm so thankful you like broccoli. And she put another helping on my plate. <laughs> well, I did the same thing, and I took the broccoli, and I took it as, 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 as quietly as I could, and I took it, and I threw it under the table again. 
What I didn't know was that Miss Marge had taken her shoes off at the table. Now, you're going to say uh, the broccoli did not go in her shoe. It would have been a little bit more funny, and I thought about just telling like that, but I don't like to lie in the pulpit. You know? But what happened was when Miss Marge reached down to, her, to put her shoe back on, she grabbed the broccoli. And she brought the broccoli up in her... I'm hoping my mom and daddy are watching this because they know this is absolute truth. When she brought the broccoli up, all she did was look at my mama. And at that point, I knew I was going to hell. <laughs> at that point. I mean, see, because the preacher had just talked about weeping and gnashing of teeth and darkness and all that stuff. That's how he was talking, see? That's how he was doing it. And I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm dead. See, people all over the world. See, we can have fun as Christians, right? We, we sure can. Uh, absolutely. See, people all over the world, they look at themselves as, as good people. And they hope that they're good enough to make it to heaven. And there could be here, there could be someone here this morning that you think that you are good enough to go to heaven. But I want you to look at this verse in James chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who's broken all of them. That hits me hard. Because, my friends, I've broken more than one. I've broken a lot. And the Scripture says again, for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. So if you've done one thing wrong, in God's eyes, you are separated from eternity when you die from the Father. It doesn't matter how... how it doesn't matter. We have all fallen short. And see, and the, but the criminal admits that there's sin. The criminal, the forgiven criminal on the cross, he admits that there is sin in his life. Second thing is this. Second thing is the forgiven criminal asks for help. Don't miss this. Both of the criminals asked for help. You think of it like that? Both of them asked for help. You know, the unrepentant guy, he asked, he said, why don't you come off the cross, save yourself, and save us as well? Well, he did. He asked him for something. He asked for help. But watch what this, watch what the forgiven one does. He says this in verse 42 and 43. He says, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Check this out. Both these were guilty. Both were suffering, both were dying, both needed a Savior. But one was forgiven, and the other one was not. Now, can I just talk really honest with, honest with you this morning? The reality of this, is, the reality is this. Every single one of us in this room, we are one of two thieves. You with me? We are one of two thieves. We're either forgiven or we're not. You know, we are one of two thieves. The, the amazing thing to me is that you may be sitting side by side with someone and your eyes could be open to the gospel and you could be, brand, you could be made brand new. There could be transformation in your life right now and, and, and things could completely change. But the person sitting next to you can hear the same thing, but nothing. 
There's no transformation. Both have the same problem, and only one is transformed. See, the only thing, the only way we're going to be changed, the only way to be changed, the only way to be transformed is because of what Jesus did for you in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. And that makes up the difference. See, you were declared righteous. Watch this. I'm going to go to a verse in just a second. But you, if you know Jesus, you are declared righteous by what He did, not what you do. See, every believer ought to be jumping up in their seats right now. Because, do you see that? That righteousness comes from the Father because of what Jesus did. Not how good I am and not how religious I am, but because of what Jesus did. Because, my friends, if, if I relied on, on obeying the law, do you know what my default destination is? It's hell. The Word says this in Romans 3. It says this in verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Okay, now hold on just a second. Righteousness. What, what is righteousness is, is basically a big word for saying right with God. Okay? So just in case you're wondering what righteousness is, righteousness is being right with God. Okay? Being on the same page as the Father. All right? Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Continue. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. In other words, the law is there to show us that we need Jesus. The law is there to show us that we need a Savior. And in verse 21 it says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Now look at verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. This righteousness is from faith, not works. I don't know who needs to hear that. Somebody needs to hear that. Your righteousness, your salvation does not come from works. It does not come from being religious. It doesn't come from being a member of First Baptist Church. It doesn't come from being a member of Allen's Baptist Church. It doesn't come from being a member of the Methodist Church. It doesn't come from being a member of First Christian Church. It doesn't come from that. It comes from our faith in Jesus and believing in the resurrection of our Savior. See, that's where it comes from. See, this righteousness is from faith, not works. Please stick with me. The forgiven criminal on the cross, watch this, his hands were tied. I mean, the, the forgiven criminal on the cross, his hands were tied. Therefore, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't get off the cross and turn over a new leaf and do what was right, could he? He couldn't have done that. His feet were nailed to the cross and he couldn't get off and give money to the poor or come to church. He couldn't do anything but trust in the grace of Jesus and he was saved by his faith in the Lord. So the reality is, is that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And when Jesus gave his life, when he gave his life on the cross and he died, and then three days later the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. 
He made it possible for, pay attention, the way to heaven. The way. Not a way. The way. The only way to heaven is through Christ. And listen to me, heaven is as real as that pew. Let me say this, hell is as real as that pew right there. I believe that. I believe that with everything inside of me, that it's real. So, so the word says in 1 Peter 1 through 3, and 1 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, <laughs> the, the, the repentant thief was dying, and he was fighting for his breath. But he saw something that the other thief didn't see. Maybe he saw Jesus take a beating and never fought back. Maybe, maybe he, he was, it was when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Maybe it was when the sun and the sky went dark at noon. We may never know what it was. But what we know was that he experienced the love of God through Jesus when he could do nothing to make things right, through faith, he asked Jesus to remember him, and Jesus remembered him. I'm, I'm almost done. But give me just five more minutes. Our salvation, my salvation, your salvation, comes from faith in Jesus. Not works, not religious activity, not from joining a church. It's not from being good enough. It is through faith in Christ. So some of, some of you are, are believers in Jesus. You're a disciple of Christ. But there are still some of you in this room that you still feel under the weight of sin. And, and listen to me. Listen to me. That, that you possibly feel inadequate. That you feel that there is some guilt in your life. That you feel there is condemnation. That you feel when you come into church, people look down on you. See, I, I meet people all the time that say something like that. Well, I'm not really sure I can come to that church because I don't really have the right clothes to wear and you know, I, I don't have the, the right stuff to come to, to that church. I hear that stuff all of the time, that, that you feel inadequate. You truly may know Jesus, but there's some inadequacy in your life and, and you, you are feeling some guilt and you're feeling condemnation and you're thinking, I'm not good enough. See, if that's you then perhaps you should be at this altar in just a few minutes. Because listen to me, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Zero. Nothing. And, and when we feel inadequate, of which I do from time to time, if I'm honest with you, 
when we feel inadequate and we truly know Jesus, you know what that is? I believe that's Satan trying to make us feel that way. So it could be that this morning, there are those of you in this room that you are feeling so inadequate and you're feeling like you just don't belong and all of those things. Could it be that this morning that you need to get some things right with Jesus? You truly may know him as your savior, but maybe you need to be at this altar or, or, or kneeling or, or, or wherever that may be and say, you know what? There is no condemnation and I will not allow Satan to make me feel like this any longer. And then there are those of you here today that you listen carefully that today is the day of your salvation. See, because salvation has so much more to do than just walking down an aisle it has so much more to do than just praying a prayer with the preacher. Actually, salvation really has nothing to do with a prayer. You know what salvation has to do with you trusting Jesus? That you believing in the resurrection of our Savior and that He loves you and that He will be there and there is no condemnation through Christ. It, it, it really, I, I think sometimes we've made it something that it's really not. I, I really think sometimes we, we try to make things harder than what they really are. So, I believe with everything inside of me that there's an individual in this room that today is the day of your salvation. And if you will follow the Holy Spirit's prompting, listen, if you will follow the Holy Spirit's prompting in your life, you are going to call out on His name. You are going to call out on His name and say, Jesus, save me. Make my life different I want to be new. I need you. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. Because you believe that He died for each one of us. 